0: My name's Ben Miles, I'm a follower of Jesus and a husband to Pastor Dave's daughter Kirsten Miles. Through the week, I work as a software developer at 4S Financial in St. John, Uh, and here at True Life, I'm a youth leader working under Levi. I've been attending True Life for about seven years and have been a member here for about a year. In youth group, we actually just finished 1 Peter in May, so we're a little ahead of Sunday morning services and we've actually had the blessing of hearing God's Word in Sunday mornings and then again on Wednesday evenings. And when we got to this passage, this is 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 19. When we got here in the youth group, I was the one teaching it, so it made for a good opportunity for me to share what I've been learning with all of you today. That's 1 Peter 4, 12 to 19. This section is about suffering as a Christian. It's about the abuse that a Christian may receive when they do what God says. Peter calls this suffering for the name of Christ. He tells us why we expect suffering, why it can be used for good, how we should react to it, and how it compares the suffering today, how that compares to the eternal suffering of hell. And before I get into it, I want to give a little bit of a recap of suffering that we've already dealt with in 1 Peter. So in chapter 1, Peter talked about rejoicing in salvation while also being grieved by trials. So being happy, rejoicing because of your salvation, but doing that through difficulty as a way of testing your faith. In chapter 2... We talked about being rejected by people or being slandered by Gentiles. And it gives an explanation of the example set by Jesus in how he suffered, not for doing good, but, or sorry, not for doing wrong, but for doing good. Chapter three gives us a, it tells us that there's a blessing that comes from righteous suffering. And it gives instruction on how to act in preparation for it. And now, in chapter four, Last week, we learned about the urgency of living obediently, being loving, hospitable, speaking God's word, serving and managing God's resources with excellence. And now in verse 12 onward, Peter gives a more complete explanation of suffering as a Christian, which may come as a result of the right living that we just learned about. So let's pray and we'll get into it. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to study your word together. And we thank you for the freedom that we have here to declare the truth of scripture without fear of physical harm. Please use this passage to prepare us to respond properly to persecution and to help us learn about what you want in your disciples. Guide my thoughts and my words this morning to speak with accuracy and clarity. And use the words of Peter to help us see the need for a Savior, to transform us, and to make us more like Christ. We pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. 1 Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 12. Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you, as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead... Rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. If you're ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. For the time has come... For judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who disobey the gospel of God? And if a righteous person is saved with difficulty, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. Back up to verse 12, it says, Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. He's speaking to friends. He says, Dear friends, and from earlier Sundays, you may remember that Peter's writing to a vast group of believers, people who have faith in Christ, who have dedicated their lives to him and have been elected by God for salvation, but these people are dispersed through an area where they feel like exiles. They're strangers where they're living. And by saying, dear friends, or some translations say, beloved, Peter's saying that he cares about his audience, that God cares about them, and that the suffering that they're about to endure and the suffering that they are enduring is a pain that's not to be handled alone. They're in community, they're in Christ, and they can rest in that. And he also reminds them that suffering is normal. He says, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you, as if something unusual were happening to you. So this is not an unusual thing that's happening to these people. It's something that they should expect. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, in fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And not only that, but Peter has also already talked about a fiery trial a couple pages earlier in chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 5, Peter says, you're being guarded by God's power through a faith for salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 6, you rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which, though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So there are many fiery trials in life, but what we're talking about and what Peter's talking about in chapter 4 here is about a specific kind of trial. He's talking about suffering for your faith in Christ, suffering for doing good. And it's important to remember that the suffering that's going on here is not random, that God is in control through all of it. The fiery trial that you're enduring in this Christian suffering is not a raging forest fire, but it's a bonfire that God has lit, and he's watching it carefully. It's still a fire, so it's still hot and painful and dangerous, but it's a good thing, and it's under his control. Still, though, he's not God isn't just lighting up this fire in your life for no reason. This is really for our benefit. And it's a part of our growth in being transformed to be more like Christ. Throughout the life of a Christian, God is working in your life to be set apart to accomplish his work. Because of our reliance on the Bible, on prayer, on the church, on God's blessing, we have faith and are being transformed through the Holy Spirit. And this transformation that's happening in the life of a Christian is called sanctification. And suffering is one of the ways that God uses to increase our reliance on him. Now, I'll read verse 12 again. Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, so instead of being surprised, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. So be happy when you suffer, not because it feels good, but because God uses that to strengthen you. You learn and you change and you grow. We get to suffer like Jesus did. And the word share in this verse is really important. It says, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ. If we, if a Christian is hated for the same reason that Jesus was hated, then we can celebrate for the privilege of being like him. Now, Jesus was physically hurt for living righteously. He was killed for it. But here in Canada, we are free to practice our faith without worry of that kind of punishment. And it's important to keep in mind that what we have isn't normal. It's not included in much of history, and a lot of countries around the world today still don't have religious freedom. And we aren't guaranteed to have it forever. So we need to use this section to help us prepare ourselves for the future. Even still, this passage does apply to us today because our faith goes against Canadian culture. And we will suffer socially for our faith in Christ. Jesus felt that social tension as well. Living the Christian faith will drive some people away from us. We may lose friends, have the door slammed on us, get called names, or be treated unfairly in some way, but we can celebrate because we're sharing in Christ's sufferings. Verse 14 says, if you're ridiculed for the name of Christ, or if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. The Holy Spirit resting on you is not a small thing. This is a, this is a big deal. You are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. We also know that the Holy Spirit rested on Jesus. Uh, Matthew 3.16 is where Jesus was baptized. Matthew 3.16 says, When Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. The heavens suddenly opened for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So the Spirit of God came down on Jesus. And this verse that we're talking about in First Peter says, When you suffer, that same Spirit, the same Spirit that rested on Jesus, the one that raised him from the dead, that Spirit rests on you. Now we also know as Christians that the Holy Spirit lives within us already. It's all over the Bible, but I'm going to use John 14:17 here. It's a clear statement of that. It says, starting in verse 15, If you love me, this is Jesus, If you love me, you will keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. That counselor being the Holy Spirit. He is the Spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because he doesn't know him. He doesn't see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. So the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is in believers. But our verse, so 1 Peter 4, verse 14, says that the Spirit of God rests on you who are suffering. And he's quoting Isaiah here. He's, he's quoting Isaiah eleven two, 2, where. Isaiah is making a prophecy about Jesus. He's saying there's a stump or the stump of Jesse and a shoot will grow out from the stump of Jesse. So a descendant of Jesse is being prophesied here, and this is about the spirit that's resting on Jesus who fulfilled that prophecy. Isaiah 11:2 says, "The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel And strength, a spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. Peter says, by quoting that prophecy and saying that that spirit will rest on you, he's saying that this is a prophecy about Jesus, but it also applies to his followers. That we, as well as Christ, when we're suffering, have a spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, strength, knowledge, and fear of the Lord resting on us. It's also important to remember that there's a difference between being a Christian who suffers and being someone who's suffering for the name of Christ. All people suffer. That's just a part of being alive in a sinful world that's been corrupted. But what we're talking about here, what Peter's talking about, is people who suffer because they're doing good. Verse 15. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. So if people insult you or make fun of you or cause you to suffer in some way because you're being a jerk, then there's no rejoicing for you. Sometimes we just deserve to suffer. And in this case, not only have you sinned, but you've brought shame on yourself and You've brought shame on Jesus if you're claiming to follow Him. So let's look at the people in verse 15 here. We have we have murder, thief, evildoer, and meddler. So murder and stealing those are crimes generally. Evildoers are people whose lives are defined by immorality. But then meddler is here in that same sentence. Like, what's so wrong about being a meddler? Some translations also say, prying into other people's affairs or being a busybody in other men's matters. So meddling is where you're getting involved in something where you don't belong. And the example that comes to my mind right away is in a a sitcom where you've got a boyfriend, a girlfriend, they're dating, and then you've got a friend that doesn't want them to be dating. The boyfriend hates country music. And so this friend says, okay, I'm gonna try to mess these guys up. They take a country CD, put it in the girlfriend's backpack. The boyfriend finds it. He's like, I don't want to be in this relationship anymore. So the friend is meddled with their relationship. (laughs) And that's definitely meddling. You're definitely getting involved in something where you have no authority, but there's more to that. There's definitely more that Peter's talking about here. In the church, Meddling often presents itself as gossip. So, think of a moment of like sharing prayer requests or talking about someone else's personal situation. It's, it's really not our place to share those kinds of details, and meddling is when we act like we have authority over a person or over a situation where really we just don't. So why would meddling be lumped in with murder? Because it's sinful, but it's also shameful, and people don't like to be meddled with. And you may suffer for doing that. That kind of suffering isn't a righteous suffering. But, verse 16, But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. That name that Peter's talking about is the name Christian. So if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having the name Christian. If someone says, you're awful because you're a thief, then there's nothing good about that. But if they say you're awful because you're a Christian, then glorify God. Don't feel ashamed because of the way you're treated when you follow his commands. Suffering or being insulted definitely sucks, but if you're so much like Jesus that people treat you the way they treated him, then that's a reason to glorify God and to be happy in it. Jesus also promised that we would suffer in Matthew 5. This is at the end of the Beatitudes in verse 10. Jesus said, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you." So we should not be ashamed, but we should praise God and be glad because that's right on track with the prophets. It's right on track with how the apostles were treated, the early church leaders. And it's the way Christ was treated as well. So if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. Verse 17, For the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who disobey the gospel of God? God's household is not the building that we're sitting in, and it's not the room we're in. It's the people. If you flip a page or two back in Peter, in First Peter here, Uh, 1 Peter 2, 4. Peter says, As you come to him, so as you come to Christ, a living stone, rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves, as living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house. You're being built to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So, we, as believers, are stones that make up God's house. That's the framework that Peter's working with here when he says that God's household will be judged first. And so it begins with us. It doesn't begin with the unbelievers. God judges his people first. And we already know this from the parable of the sheep and the goats from Matthew 25. Jesus tells us that in the final judgment, God's people will be judged first. But this verse in, in First Peter here, we're not talking about final judgment. We're talking about the current suffering of God's people under pagan oppressors. And so in this judgment, we have to think, like, what does this judgment mean? God judges people for his benefit, and I compare it to discipline in my mind, where discipline from a parent to their child might be to punish them, but it can also be to help them grow, to, to correct them. And in a similar way, judgment is for punishment, but it also is for growth, and it can be for testing. So the judgment on God's household means that we're put through trials and we're put through suffering that helps to purify us. It makes us rely on God for our strength. It gives us a reason for our faith. And it makes us more like Jesus. In James chapter 1, James is the book right before 1 Peter. James chapter 1 verse 2 goes along with this. He says, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Verse 3, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So James is saying that the trials and the testing of your faith, those are the pathways to maturity and completion. They're used by God to make his people more pure and to set them on track to accomplish his goals. So if God is choosing, through suffering, to use insults, beatings, prison, death even, for the purification of his church, then how awful will that judgment be for the unbelievers? That's the root of what Peter is asking with this question when he says, For the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who disobey the gospel of God? In verse 18, And if a righteous person is saved with difficulty, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Peter's restating what he said in the last verse, but this time he's using a quote from Proverbs To reframe his point. If we take a look at the second half of both verses here, in verse 17 it's asking, what will the outcome be for the unbeliever? Verse 18 is asking, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? The the conclusions there, the questions are almost identical and we can similarly draw a parallel between the premises of both verses too. Verse 17 God is allowing us to suffer, to help us grow. Verse 17, it says, the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household. And in the same way, verse 18 is talking about that same difficulty. It's saying, sanctification is difficult. A righteous person is saved with difficulty. We don't just go from putting our faith in Christ and being justified by him to being perfected. It takes a lifetime of God shaping us through sanctification. And only after death are we made perfect. And this verse is saying, sanctification is tough, but dying unsanctified is worse. If the righteous is saved with difficulty, because sanctification is tough, then what will become of the ungodly and the sinner who are unsanctified? And like I said, this verse is a quote from proverbs specifically this is proverbs 11:31 which really just tells us that this idea of suffering being god's people is not new to the time of jesus that suffering has always been a part of following god think of the, the prophets before in the old testament So then, this is verse 19, So then, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. This is, I think, the most important verse to look at here. Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. It's practical and it touches on everything that we just talked about. And if you're going to memorize something in 1 Peter 4, this is the verse I would go to. It, it helps you to just pull, your, pull out the theology from Peter. He explains righteous suffering with just this verse, if you've got it locked in your mind. So the end goal of suffering is to bring glory to God. To see the beauty of Christ's sacrifice and reflect that as his followers the growth that we're experiencing in sanctification is reflective of Jesus. So, if you suffer for the name of Christ, not for evil, but for Christ, then you need to lean on God. Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator. Put your trust in him. He's in control of the judgment. And he's doing it for your benefit. Run to his arms and grow. And not only is Peter summing up what he's talked about, but he's also calling back to chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 23 in the same book. Peter says, When he was insulted, talking about Jesus again, when he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges Justly. When Jesus suffered, he entrusted himself to the Father. And when Peter tells us, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful Creator, he's telling us, follow Jesus' example. Jesus knew that he could rely on the Father when he suffered and died, and he gave up his body. Fully secure in the Spirit. He was not concerned about where he would go. He knew that he was secure. And as a Christian, I strive to feel that same way. And if I trust God to hold on to my eternal life, the most valuable aspect of my existence, then of course I should be able to trust Him with the little things with my home, with my relationships, with my habits. And so, the question I want to leave you with is this. When you suffer, trust God and do good. But if you're not doing one of those things, if you're not trusting God, if you're not doing good, then consider how you might surrender more of yourself so that you can serve him more deeply. The the final verse says, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. So if you suffer, trust God and do good. Doing good is a huge part of that. Don't stop serving God when you're insulted. Let him take care of your anxieties. Don't be ashamed, but glorify God and keep doing what he commands. Keep loving one another, keep speaking God's word, keep being hospitable without complaining, be an excellent steward of what God has entrusted to you and use your gifts to build up the church. Keep making disciples and baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them all that Christ has commanded.